From the studios of the Private Client Network in Midtown Manhattan, welcome to Luxury on Location. This dynamic podcast features conversations with luxury realtor Kevin Snedden, founder of the Private Client Network at Compass and its Private Client Network partners. In this, our third episode of Season 2, Kevin will be speaking with Gregory Strompolis, a partner on the Jeff Henley and Susie Dews team, our Private Client Network partners in Denver. Gregory is a valued asset of Jeff and Susie's team, and here's why. The grandson of a prominent real estate developer, Gregory hails from one of Denver's oldest and largest families. After a successful entrepreneurial career in partnerships, business development, and technology, Gregory followed his grandfather's footsteps into real estate. After leading the growth of the Southern California agent community for Compass, Gregory returned home to join forces with Compass Colorado founding agents, Jeff and Susie, to oversee growth, operations, and new business development. What we admire most about Gregory is his genuine interest in people and his overall intelligence. We are so fortunate to have Gregory in our private client network, and we are delighted to have him as our featured guest on Luxury on Location. Hello, Gregory. Welcome to Luxury on Location. Hey, hey. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Really excited to talk to you today. We got to know you back in Chicago, and we had some interesting conversations, and I think you have a really interesting background, uh, so I, this is going to be a really good podcast. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, so maybe in, in terms of background, maybe you can take our listeners through your overall business background. Sure, absolutely. Well, uh, again, thanks for having me. This is this is a lot of fun, and I hope it's as much fun as it was in uh Chicago, we really had a blast there and thought it was a very productive use of time. But yeah, so my background is in building tech-oriented businesses with a focus on international expansion and business development. I have a big passion for foreign language and culture, so that actually guided a lot of my career and kind of where I went. I've worked in international trade intelligence, media and entertainment international shipping, and actually on the corporate side of real estate at Compass. So that's brought me around the country and the world. I've lived in New York, California, Arizona, North Carolina, China, Spain, Brazil, and several places in between. But like I said, the, the last place I worked actually was Compass. So I was tasked with growth and expansion for Compass in Southern California, which essentially boiled down to recruiting. So I got a really good look at how realtors run their businesses and what the most successful ones are doing and what they're not doing. And so it really kind of inspired me to run a business in a way that emulates some of those things, but also pulls in a lot of the strengths and skills from my background. What's interesting about that is clearly you have strong business acumen and then working with Compass as a strategic growth manager and understanding really how this industry works, how other firms, large and small, are doing it. The fact that you wanted to transition and actually sell real estate for Compass speaks volumes about, I guess, how you feel about the Compass platform and how it's positioned for future success. Absolutely. My job, the way we kind of ran growth at Compass 
was similar to a SaaS sort of sales cycle. And we would model out how the programs and the technology and the support at Compass could help grow an individual's business or a team's business. So we got really sort of down to the details in terms of how realtors are able to leverage everything that Compass provides. So when I knew that I wanted to get involved in real estate, it was a no brainer that I would stick with Compass, but also be able to use that familiarity with the brokerage and the platform to my advantage and to my team's advantage as well. Yeah, I'd say you have deep insights into that, into the platform and into how to apply it. And we have obviously realtors, agents, brokers, et cetera, listening to this podcast. And as we all know, and I come from a corporate business background as well. And what I explain to people, whether you're in the industry or you're not, is that real estate is probably the most inefficient industry out there. So from a broker perspective, how you invest your time and being able to free yourself up to sell, but you're often bogged down through the administrative process the Compass platform is there to streamline so much for you so you can focus more energy on selling and in turn make more money. That's 100% it. I mean, I think every company within an industry eventually becomes, quote, tech company. Calling Compass a tech company is up for debate, but really what it boils down to is what you just said. It's empowering individuals to be more efficient and to really set themselves apart from the rest of the pack. And my background in the startup world was exactly that, whether it was helping importers gain visibility and transparency into their international shipments or helping YouTubers or online personalities harness the power of online video and the platforms that they have. Technology, of course, is a tool in the grand scheme of things and how you leverage technology to make yourself more efficient. But at the end of the day, our job and our business is to help people accomplish their goals. And these are life goals, right? When you're dealing with property. So the more time that you can get a sense of what they really want and what they really need, and the less time you can spend sort of fiddling through the sort of minutia or the mechanics of real estate, the better, because you're more focused on what your client actually wants instead of bogging yourself down with how to build a comparative market analysis or something like that, right? Yeah. No, and if you look at the other side of the equation, I mean, so first, real estate is a very inefficient sort of an industry, real estate brokerage. And it's also probably the most dynamic industry out there. I mean, for us, every day is different. And, you know, the more you know about business and all sorts of business, the more you know about people and all sorts of people, you apply all of those learnings every day into this job. And the people that have the most diverse sort of skill sets out there, I think, persevere because it's just such an incredibly dynamic and challenging business to be in every day, being a residential real estate broker. Totally. And just to add to that, a note from Steve Shane, when he did this podcast, he really talked about real estate being a blended investment. And I absolutely love that term because it really does sit at sort of the nexus of your financial interests, as well as your family and your well-being, right? And your ability to settle and create community. And I love that sort of blend of two very important things in your life. And the more in which you can 
empathize and really relate to people and all their different personal scenarios, the better you can become in servicing them. And that's something that our group and myself really take very seriously is putting ourselves in the shoes of our buyers and sellers. Yeah, I mean, the most successful agents out there don't sell per se. They, exactly. they advise, they listen, and they advise, and they're, they help clients navigate, and they are problem solvers, right? Totally. Just to switch gears for a second while we're on your background, so we've gotten your professional background. Now, personally, it'd be great for our listeners to hear your personal background and as it relates to your market of Denver. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up here in Denver. I'm from a huge Greek family. There's actually a joke amongst our partners and our team that I kind of have a cousin for everything. <laughs> we were looking to do a uh, some type of marketing video that required like a good production team. And we were thinking, okay, who could we get to do this? So I reached out on LinkedIn to some of my old contacts in the entertainment industry, most of which are in the West Coast. And I get a bunch of replies and people interested in helping us out. And so we're at a team meeting and I'm saying, Okay, uh, yeah, I think this guy could be good. This guy could be good. Oh, you know what? Wait a second. I forgot my cousin Theo. <laughs> he does video <laughs> production here in Denver. <laughs> Let's give him a call. So there's a joke that uh, there's always a cousin for something. But that's one of the reasons I absolutely love selling and working here in Denver is because of those ties to the community. But I actually spent 16 or 17 years outside of Denver after leaving high school. I think all that time moving around and, and exploring different cultures and cities and ways of life has enabled me to truly relate to folks who come from all different walks of life. And Denver is an increasingly sort of transplant city, if you will. And I understand that. I've been in that situation where you're new to a place and you want to get a sense of how it is to live there but you're dealing with the challenges of sort of being out there on your own or with a limited network. So, you know, that's kind of, I guess, my personal background as it relates to this market. And I don't know, what else? What yeah, else yeah, no, I... it's, a, it's a, well, you could mention your grandfather. So you're sort of ties to real estate. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my grandfather immigrated to Denver from Greece and he had six kids. And my mom was one of those. And all of those kids had several kids. And he was an entrepreneur, did all types of work, but was really a prominent figure in sort of assembling the Greek community and just building a really strong tie with the city itself. One of Denver's most iconic churches, actually, the Greek Orthodox Cathedral in the Hilltop neighborhood was essentially built by him. He was the president of the board and procured that space and continued to sort of develop other residential areas around that. So it really goes deep. And not surprisingly, most of the Greeks here in Denver are working or owning or, or managing restaurants. So I grew up working at my dad's restaurant in West Denver. And I would say at the peak of our sort of family's ownership of restaurants within Denver, there's probably 30 or 40 of them that I could pop into and, and have a relation. And so, you know, that when you're in a business and you're growing up as the busboy or the dishwasher or the host or the manager, 
in all these different parts of town, you're really getting a sense of who the people are and what type of things they like and what makes them distinctly Colorado. Yeah, your background is really interesting because from a realtor perspective, not only do you have to know your market and live there and and be ingrained in it and be a real local, if you will, but you also have to have a sense of where the people are coming from and their transition and the lifestyle that they currently lead and how that's going to transfer over to your home market. So you sort of have to be well-traveled, but also be ingrained in the local community, right? So you have to have both. You just can't be a local and not understand anything outside of your market because that's just Absolutely. not, right? I agree with that 100%. It's so comforting or helpful for people to, when, you, when you're in a situation where you can say, oh yeah, this is kind of like our Brentwood area. But if you go up north about five miles, you'll kind of hit what's more akin to like the Playa del Rey or the downtown Los Angeles, whatever it is. Or just speaking in relative terms like that really helps people get a grasp of what they're looking for and what they're seeing in front of them. Even for people who are local, because some folks who are from the area and have lived here in many years are able to discover new things about the city as it's growing so fast and you know changing constantly. So Gregory, let's talk, let's get into the market. Can you take our listeners through sort of a broad overview of the Denver market and the COVID impact and then what's sort of been trending recently? Absolutely. So Denver's market in total last year, it was just under $7 billion in sales volume. That's across the six county Denver metro area. So when we look at the market in Denver, we're usually looking at the, the broader metro area. The average sales price here is still under 700000 That's actually down 4% from this time last year. Luxury homes are, are starting around $1.5 But what we're seeing in that sort of middle market is a little bit of a deflation from the sort of great migration that the pandemic inspired, let's say. And so if you look at cities across the country that saw a lot of growth throughout the pandemic, there are cities that offered a lot in terms of being able to get outside. They were relatively comfortable cities. They're easy to get around, but they had a draw of something that maybe a coastal urban city center wouldn't exactly offer. And so if you look at cities across the country like that, like Boise, Idaho, or Tampa, Florida, or parts of Washington. Denver is absolutely on that list because so many people were drawn to the sort of manageable lifestyle that this city provides. So we saw a lot of growth and that's leveling off. Um, I wouldn't say crashing or tumbling, it's certainly normalizing. You know, in August of this year, from all the listings sold in Denver, there were more than 430 sold above asking price. 570 sold below and more than 320 sold right at the asking price. So to me, that's a relatively healthy balanced market. Although here's the catch. Although inventory is up 94% year over year, we're still about half the inventory you would normally see in the market. And like I said, I think part of that balloon deflating is sort of pandemic great migration related. So, you know, typically the average number of listings in August from, say, the 80s up until 
today would be around 16,000. And st so we're still less than half of that, half of what you consider normal. I think this last month, we're just under 7,000 active listings. So I know it's not totally specific to Denver, but that's kind of the challenge we deal with is inventory, just having places to, to sell. And even when you're trying to procure a home for somebody off market, the open MLS is sort of a bellwether of the motivation people have to sell their home off market as well. So that's kind of the challenge we work against right now is inventory. But uh, overall, I'd say it's a relatively healthy market. Yeah, COVID really skewed a lot of markets. And I'll give you my thoughts. And maybe this happened in Denver. Maybe it didn't. But if uh, I look at Denver, I would be like, there's probably people that were living downtown in a more of a concentrated Denver that with COVID wanted to move out and have more space. And then I would think that there were people from urban areas outside of the state of Colorado, like San Francisco, for example, that wanted to get out of that urban area and wanted to move into Denver, some right into downtown and some, you know, outside. And so there was movement within Denver. There were people coming into Denver. And now with COVID being in the rearview mirror, then there's almost like a reshuffling, maybe some people that moved out want to come back in. Maybe some people that moved to Denver don't like it and want to go somewhere else. Or, you know, right. maybe maybe more people want to come to Denver because the people that moved there like it and their friends want to come. But these markets are all, they're so skewed right now. And there are all these dynamics happening related to COVID before, during, and after. And I wouldn't think that most of these markets are going to be normal and probably like 2024, like straight up just normal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I agree. It's such a seismic event to, you know, the, the yeah. pandemic to the, to the industry, to all industries that, um, I think it's just going to continue to be a little wonky like that. And we're going to have to stay on our, our toes to really get a sense of what's happening, not just in the last month, but in the last few days. To your point about folks moving out of sort of urban city centers, like in coastal regions, particularly like, you know, New York or San Francisco. Uh, that was absolutely the case here. I mean, half the deals I did last year and, and really up into spring were through FaceTime. Yeah. I think that's no surprise to a lot of folks working in similar sized in uh, cities that kind of offer the uh, things that Denver do. Are there any trends happening right now that are surprising in Denver? I think what's surprising actually is the luxury market continues to be relatively strong. You see cash buyers in particular sort of taking advantage of their financial circumstance to buy properties outright with no fear of competition and getting a good deal, so to speak. And then there's a lot of new builds were built on the higher end, right? Because that's where it was more profitable to, to build homes. And a lot of those are hitting the market or hit the market in the last couple of months. So those sort of buyers that were sitting on the sideline that didn't go in while the rest of the entire world was buying property, they're trading right now. And that's kind of surprising to me. I think generally the luxury market is a little bit immune to the broader general market, but it, it seems to be holding well, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So what about the first time home buyer, the entry market, and with what's gone on with interest rates? How has that impacted the first time home buyer? Yeah. I mean, incredibly. It's kind of disheartening to some degree, I think, 
some people are having to reconsider everything altogether as in terms of where they can live and what they can afford. That's not a hard and fast rule per se. There's a lot of folks who, with the increase in rates, have had to adjust a little bit, but have more time to think about what type of property they want to live in and have more time to actually process what they just saw before they make an offer instead of seeing something for 15 minutes and then writing up a contract and offering an arm and a leg to go with it. So that's, I think, brought some sort of peace of mind. And I think the way you look at it is the classic marry the house, date the rate. And I think that's given those sort of entry-level buyers some optimism because owning a property, owning a home in Denver is a solid investment, financially speaking. But um, I think everyone who sets roots here in the city are really become ingrained with the community and the difference in what they're paying per month as opposed to what they would have paid when rates were in the twos and threes really doesn't affect them, I think. I mean, it does in the sense that you may be paying more, but I think when you're in a house, like Steve said, you're happy. And so that's kind of how we look at it. I think some people are just going to sit on the sidelines and that's, you just have that. That's kind of, some people want to do that. But at the same time, there's a little bit more calm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting what you said about the first time home buyer, because through the pandemic and it was not fun for any buyer, but let alone the first time home buyer to your point where you're going in and you have five to 15 minutes to decide if you want to buy a house. And not only if you want to buy it, you're going to be in some blind bidding war and you're right. just going to, and you're going to have to be under duress and make a decision to stretch yourself and you still might not even get the house. And it was insane for people. You had no selection. You had no time. So when the market's slowing down a little bit and taking a breather, it opens up the selection process for the first-time home buyer. So even though interest rates might have gone up for them, the process is a little more normal these days, exactly. so, which is helpful. That, that's how I actualize it for them as well. It's like, okay, if you're buying a house a year ago, you would pay a really high price for that home right? And you would forego a lot of your contingencies and potentially end up with a wonky HVAC system or whatever if you really wanted that home. But you'd have a lower interest rate. Whereas now it's, well, you can actually get a pretty decent price on a home. But the flip side is that rate is a little higher. So I think it's a balance actually. Like when prices go up, the, the rates are down and when the rates are up, the prices go down. It's, yeah, that's a good point. It really, sounds pretty common sense, yeah, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> there, there is a balance. And even when someone, if a market is softer and a seller is upset that they're not going to get as high a price, I always say, well, when you go to buy your next house, you're going to get a better deal on that than you would have gotten. So it works both ways. Exactly. So let's get into the team. Your team is very interesting from the way it's operated to the way it's branded to who founded it in terms of the Compass Connection. So maybe you could take our listeners through the whole team, how it's structured, how it's run. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly an interesting, pretty atypical approach to residential real estate. So I'm one of three partners I joined Jeff Henley and Susie Dews, who were the founding brokers of Compass Denver. Jeff has been in the game, I think, 17 years, initially had a background in finance. And Susie has been a constant market leader in Denver and the nation, kind of a 
Wall Street Journal top 1000 year over year. And she's just really consistent and very well known and liked in the Denver metro area. And so uh, you have those two are kind of our vets, if you will. And then myself, who is newer to residential, but sort of have my ear to the ground on how we can leverage what Compass provides to us and how we can you know, organize our business in a way that's efficient for everyone. And then we have two operations managers who are incredibly great at their jobs and they do much more than just transactions. You know, they're helping on all aspects of marketing. They'll help manage some of the relationships with our clients. They're more than just a person who's going through the steps of each contract. They're really kind of full service, if you will. So what's interesting about the team though, is we've organized our incentive structure, if you will, so that every person is winning on each deal, meaning we're all earning on each deal. And that incentive structure really has allowed us to kind of have an all hands on deck approach. So while there's one main point of contact for each client, we're all counseled to every deal and we're all sort of looped in on the communication. We can cover for each other when one of us needs to be out of town or is unavailable. And we have more eyes and ears on what clients are looking for. And so aside from the just genuinely good nature of everyone on the team and sort of easygoing personality, that structure allows us to be very not pushy with our clients at all and um, really just take some time to put ourselves in their shoes and really think about what they're trying to achieve instead of trying to uh, reach a, a number at the end of each month. And I think that sort of consultative approach has really helped us succeed. And then I think just in terms of how we brand ourselves and how we market ourselves, you know, like I said, Jeff, he actually has the highest average price point of any broker in Denver. So he's really known for selling really bespoke, unique properties, super high end, and really puts on a battle to go out there and sell them and really tell a story around each property he's selling. And Susie's just been a staple in the real estate game here for so long that she's at the top of anyone's list when they're thinking about trading a property. And uh, my background, I'm incorporating things I learned from building startups, from working in tech-oriented companies, and from my just personal experience living around the world and around the country, and of course, leveraging the network that I have here in Denver. And so we have this sort of dynamic that it has a lot of range, but it's cohesive at the same time. So we're all together focusing on one common goal, and that's growing the overall book of a business for our group while making sure that the quality of service is top notch. So we don't necessarily care about scaling number of deals. We actually a lot more selective. We care about scaling the quality of service. And of course, with that tends to come a higher price point and, and just better feedback in the market. Yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, teams are so prevalent these days, but not all teams function well. And 
some people are good at selling, but they might not be good at running a team. And some people right. might be good at the business end, but not the selling. So you need all those skill sets. And it really, if you do it right and the people get along and are aligned, then like one and one equals three, right? Totally. It's great because I think sometimes what you have in real estate teams, obviously you'll have like a principal agent and all the agents underneath that agent will kind of roll up to that split and pool volume, which is certainly a good approach. I think it, it's a little bit more of an approach that allows those individuals to sort of carve out their own lane. With this setup, we're on a first name basis with all of each other's clients, right? And what I think of as my client is also Susie or Jeff's client and Cody and Ellie who are supporting the team as well. And so uh, it's really enabled a lot of coverage and an ability to go deep and truly understand what our clients are looking for. Yeah, no, these days I'm seeing a lot of partner-driven teams, two, three, four, five partners, depending on how big the market area is uh -huh. and for coverage. And yeah, they're pooling their influence to competitively have more influence than any other team or individual player in the market. That's very well said. I wish I could have been so concise <laughs> like you were. <laughs> That's great. I appreciate that. But no, so I can see that structure works and then it seems like you have harmony. And then if you have harmony, then you might not be really pushing to do it, but you'll just start to scale. More more clients will be attracted to you. More deals will happen. Your average sale price will go up because you're very focused on execution, which is very important, especially with high-end clients. They want you to execute for them. So it seems like you guys are on the right path. Thank you. Yeah. And it's an interesting sort of different dynamic for me because working in tech companies, scale is always the goal here. But also from those experiences, I've learned that the best companies are customer obsessed. And so while we're not sort of looking to scale number of people and sort of deals on our team, we're looking to scale our ability to serve customers, right? And yeah. Amazon model, right? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that's what I tell people every day, like what guides me in this industry is the clients. I always do what's best and what's right by my clients. And if you do that, you'll be successful. Absolutely. And uh, it's a lot of fun too, because you know you really get to help somebody notch a new milestone in their life. And that's always personally motivating. Yeah, absolutely. So let's change now and, and let's get into the final category for our conversation. And, that, and that's lifestyle. And what our listeners really enjoy is we delve into the lifestyle of every market here that we visit. So one way to do it is through your lens, like describe a day in the life of Denver, like what you do on a typical day, like what's a great day in Denver? Absolutely. So typical day in Denver, I probably wake up, go to a park. There's about 200 parks in Denver proper, all very beautiful. You're probably walking your dog, very dog friendly city. And the sun is probably out. There's over 300 days of sunshine in Denver. And although it does snow and we get rain and hail and sometimes crazy wind, it's a really mild climate. And the fact that you can get anywhere you want to be in the Denver metro area with reasonable traffic and views of the mountains while you drive, you know, no big issues parking for free usually, that's a big deal to me. So Denver offers a lot of what you'd expect from most major metro areas, like great restaurants or 
you know, concert venues, museums, major sports scenes, etc. But the key is that it is the right size city. So it's urban enough to call in the big names for concerts or, you know, have all those major American sports teams, but small enough to where living and getting around here is comfortable. And the outdoors is such a ever-present facet of Colorado life. So, you know, I think that brings a lot of happiness to people and it tends to lead to a, a rather healthy lifestyle as well. And, uh, you know, I think that's really what people appreciate about the city is it seems balanced and it enables you and encourages you to live a balanced life. And when you're, you know, floating down the Platte River or you're going on an awesome bike ride or you're just going for a great picnic in the foothills to look at the aspen leaves as they change this beautiful gold color you're really soaking it all in and enjoying something you can't build or replicate, which is, of course, Mother Nature. And I think that sort of enthusiasm for the outdoors here and for, you know, the vibrancy of a happy, healthy community is what draws a lot of folks in. Yeah, it's really what you said that's very interesting is that it's the right size and it sounds like it's just a very manageable city to live in and get around in and where, you know, other cities, especially where in New York and other big cities, you really have to plan your day around traffic patterns and other things totally. that are going on. And so you have to navigate all around that. But it sounds like you could just wake up in Denver and decide you want to go across town or do this or check out that restaurant and you can get there. <laughs> right. <laughs> so how's the like the walkable downtown Denver? What's that like? Downtown Denver proper has probably, let's say, the last 15 years or so, it kind of seemed to like fall asleep after dark, right? There's like the financial centers of Denver and sort of the office retail sectors. And that's really turned around actually. Downtown itself has become a lot more active and vibrant and um, kind of seen this resurgence of enthusiasm in all things sort of urban metro. But Denver itself has a lot of great neighborhoods surrounding the city itself. Just to the north is a neighborhood called the Highlands, which has become incredibly popular with awesome restaurants and, you know, super fun bars. And, you know, there, there's like a vibrant youth culture there as well. And then, like I said, the, the park scene here is amazing. You can pop into Wash Park on a Thursday and you'll see about you know, 50 to 100 different volleyball courts set up and you can hop into a game and, you know, uh, somebody's probably got a, a, a bowl of water for your dog there to, you know, ha have him chill while you're while you're playing, playing a game of volleyball. Gregory, this has been a great conversation. We really have a good I think our listeners have a good sense of you and the team and of the market, the lifestyle, the real estate market. And listeners, please keep Gregory and the team in mind if you have any clients thinking about moving to Denver. And we really appreciate your time, Gregory. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. All right. Take care. Talk to you later. A sincere thank you to Gregory Strompolis for being our featured guest on our third episode of the second season of Luxury on Location. That was a terrific conversation, which we sincerely hope our listeners enjoyed. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. 
We understand there are a multitude of podcasts out there, so we appreciate that you chose Luxury on Location for your listening pleasure. We hope to see you back for our next episode when Kevin Snedden will be speaking with another one of our private client network partners and discussing their luxury market. You can find us at theprivateclientnetwork.com or on Instagram at privateclientnetwork. Until next time. Until next time.